Hey, left fielders, you know our partner TribeVest, the platform that makes it super easy, safe, and transparent to form a business and invest with partners. I'm in 12 tribes myself. Now, TribeVest is integrated with LFI even more. Every deal webinar has the option to join an open tribe. This means left fielders can invest at lower minimums compared to going directly with the sponsor. It's a great way to diversify and spread your risk. TribeVest handles all of the heavy lifting. All you have to do is join the open tribe. Subscribe to LFI emails and sign up for Clubhouse access to take advantage of deal webinars and open tribes. This is Chad Ackerman, the host of the LFI Spotlight podcast. As part of our growth here at Left Field Investors, the LFI Spotlight is moving to its own podcast feed. So if you'd like to continue to hear stories, tips, and receive advice, be sure to subscribe to the LFI Spotlight podcast today. We'll see you in the spotlight. You can't predict the waves, right? Waves come, waves go. You can't predict. I can't tell you what the stock market is going to do this week, right? But I can tell you what's going to happen over the next five years. Okay, so the, the tides are very predictable, okay? The tides driven by demographics, for instance. Demographics are locked in, right? And they're the kind of glacial forces of economics. And they, they are so predictable. And they, they make a lot of difference. When you look at what's happening with interest rates going up, well, you know, as soon as interest rates start rising, you're, we're clearly going to have a multifamily bubble, okay, a, a popping of that bubble because, you know, I know a lot of, I know a lot of guys that are, that their deals don't cash flow anymore, right? And they've, they've got maturities coming up and they, they can't refinance. Hello, left fielders. Welcome to Passive Investing from Left Field Podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. This is Jeremy Roll, and you're listening to the Pass Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm really excited today to have Bob Fraser with us again. He is the co-founder and principal at Aspen Funds, a firm that started in 2012 to take advantage of a unique opportunity in residential real estate. Due to their track record and the reputation they have, um, many new opportunities have led Aspen to start raising capital for trusted operators. So a lot more deals are coming out of Aspen. They've been a huge supporter of LFI from the beginning as a preferred partner and a major sponsor of our 2022 meetups. We're super thankful uh, for Aspen. Bob is a returning podcast guest. Uh, his previous visit was August 2021. So two years ago on episode 25. So we'll include that in the show notes, but go ahead and check that out. Bob, welcome again to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. It's fun to be here with you. And hello to all you uh, left fielders. So it's fun to see you in person there at that uh, wonderful event too. It was. It was fine. You know, so many people we'd met on Zooms and all these video calls, and then to finally meet someone in person and shake their hand was uh, was nice. And we're doing it again uh, October 4th through October 6th. So put that on your calendar. And the uh, so the first question I always like to ask, Bob, if you could just kind of give your journey, how you got into real estate, what you know, how, how what you've done in real estate. I know that's a long list. So give us the, the cliff notes, but uh, just just share our journey for us to start off. Yeah, well, I mean, I have an extremely unusual background and a um, lot of history. I mean, I was a I was a computer scientist, so I was a computer coder and loved coding of all things. And then started at dot com in the late nineties. It uh, 
became a very big deal, ended up raising $44 million in venture capital. So I kind of became a finance guy at that point. And we had some 300 employees. I win the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award for the Midwest United States. Was the fastest growing company by revenues in the Midwest region of the United States during the late 90s. I mean, it was an absolute rocket ship and then it blew up and I lost everything. And uh, and realized kind of at that point the vagaries of the public markets. Uh, but apparently I didn't have enough of that. So went on to start a hedge fund. So I'm really passionate about economics. Anybody who knows me knows that I just I'm a voracious reader and studier of economic, all things economics, and uh, and uh, started a hedge fund. Was very, very successful for a while until I wasn't. And um, and again, the vagaries of the public markets. You know, the 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 thing about the public markets, you can have all your fundamentals right, and the stock does whatever it wants to do, right? Because the stock market is primarily not made up of fundamentals. It's primarily made up of of hamburger helper and sentiment driving it. And who knows what, right? Big boys getting in and out. Real estate on the other hand is much more predictable. And it's that, that point that I thought I want to get in something where I can push the buttons and pull the levers and I can predict how much money I'm going to make. You know, you can't predict it 100%, but you can get darn close. And and so real estate was the perfect answer. And we actually got into mortgage notes at the time, which was a distressed debt back in, you know, the, uh, you know, early, early 2010s there. That was really the thing to get into. Um, but we weren't necessarily note guys. We became note experts, but we're really, we're generalists. We're generalists. We're, we're real estate guys. I'm really a finance guy and an economics guy at the end of the day. And so we're looking for anything opportunistic at this point. And we're, we do a lot of real estate, but we do, we do a lot of non-real estate too. And, uh, and, you know, so, um, yeah, we're, we're very, we're, we're generalists at Aspen. All uh, four partners have experience in venture capital, hedge funds, uh, you know, uh, private equity, uh, banking, lots of things. And so there's there's no shortage of opportunities out there. And so when something goes cold, you want to be able to have something that isn't cold, right? Yeah, and that, that, that makes complete sense. So, you know, you, you have branched out, right? You're doing a lot of different things other than notes. So can you talk about why you've broadened your scope, why you're reaching out to other asset classes? I mean, the, the notes funds are still performing, correct? So right. is it just that there's a lot of opportunities elsewhere or, or what what made you kind of make this shift? Because it's a pretty significant right. shift. Yeah, well, what happened? So we would we bought, we cut our teeth buying non-performing residential debt, non-performing residential debt. And uh, we made a lot of money doing that and a lot of money for our investors. Problem is, that stuff, the stuff we bought, the niche stuff we bought is just not available anymore. We still have a very large note fund that that uses quite a bit of distressed debt, but it's a performing note fund. So it buys a very different asset class. That stuff is available, though it's though it's not as available as it was. So what happened is, you know, this is our market, right? Nothing works forever, right? You've got opportunities that got a a you know five year runway or a ten year runway or whatever, and then you you just got to look for something else. So it was you know it was clear that that was not well that we had made a ton of money. You know, it's actually a problem if you stay too long in somewhere right where you you, yeah. you park. And and I see this as my you know Ben and I were talking about earlier. Um, you know our 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 chief investment officer there and. He was saying how, you know, this idea of vertical integration, right, where you want to get efficiencies by going vertical, like becoming a property manager and a construction company, you know, and then you buy the apartment complexes and you manage them and all that. 
that's a disaster because what happens then you, you let's say you've got 300 employees that you've got to keep busy. You know, and it doesn't matter how bad the deals are. You still got to do deals because you got to you got to fund your construction company or your your what your development or whatever it is. And I just want to be a lot more agile than that. And the truth is, you know, having lost everything twice, nothing lasts forever. And you've got to be agile. And this is this is really what's missed in so so many of the, the real estate focused people. They or the, even the multi everybody's into multifamily. Seems like I know is like. A multifamily, multifamily. Well, multifamily is going to have a few rough years here, and and it's it doesn't mean multifamily is dead. It's fact it's going to be a great buying opportunity. But uh, you know, uh, you know, it's just a good case in point that as 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 investors, we've got to be a little bit smart. You know, you know. So here here's my history, Jim. I mean, you know, I started a dot com in the late nineties, right? Well, if you had the world's worst dot com, it went up. In the 90s, right? it didn't matter how lame it was, right? Yeah. Well, if you had the best.com in 2001, it went down. I mean, I, I I looked up the history. Amazon was selling for 35 cents a share. Yeah. I mean, that's nuts. That's right? crazy. So, so if you're going for your vertical integration, you're going for this 10% efficiency, but you're losing 90% of your investment, what good is that? You know, it's it's really more important to get your timing right. Than it is to 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 uh, you know get the nth efficiency out of the system, and so that's where we're first timing people. I mean, you know, just what's Aspen doing? If anything, we're, we're more like we have that. We got kind of the mind of a hedge fund. We have the kind of the brain of a hedge fund. Of let's think about like 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 you know um, Blackstone. You know um, um, who? What's going on in the world? What's going to be working? And then figuring out how we want to deploy our capital. Right. And uh, that's that's the way we think versus, right. hey, I've got a construction company or I've got a development business and therefore I'm going to go do development deals regardless of how sucky they are. Um, right. So how, how do you figure out the timing then? If that's the important or the you know one of the most important parts, how do you figure out the timing for each asset class? Right. I mean, it would have been great to sell any crappy dot com in 1999, right before before the crash, or any great dot com, probably. So, how do you know right. that this is the time to get out of multifamily, jump back in in a year, or get into retail now, or, or whatever? You know, the warehouses. How do how do you know what what's what the time what the time is right? Yeah, and as I put it, you know, you can't predict the waves, right? Waves come, waves go. You can't predict. I can't tell you what the stock market is going to do this week, right? But I can tell you what's going to happen over the next five years, okay? So that the tides are very predictable, okay? The tides driven by demographics, for instance. Demographics are locked in, right? And they're the kind of glacial forces of economics. And they, they are so predictable. And they, they make a lot of difference. When you look at what's happening with interest rates going up, well, you know, as soon as interest rates start rising, you're we're clearly going to have a multifamily bubble, okay? A, a popping of that bubble because, you know, I know a lot of I know a lot of guys that are that their deals don't cash flow anymore, right? And they've, they've yeah. got maturities coming up, and they they can't refinance. I mean, Fitch just came out with a with a statement. They're a large ratings agency, and of this of the CMBS that they rate, um, they were looking the, of just the 2023 maturities happening this year. And 23% of the maturities this year in, this, in the 
of the properties they rate would not qualify for refinance because they don't cash flow enough on DSCR, debt service coverage ratio, or on LTV concerns. That's a big deal when you've got yeah. 23% yeah. of the maturities this year are not, are not going to be refinanceable. Well, you've got a problem. So that's, and this is predictable, Jim. This is not everything is predictable, but a lot of things are predictable. When you see massive glacial forces moving and they're colliding, you can make predictions, right? And that's what I've done with this economic mega, megatrends I've done, the 2023 megatrends. You know, I've got, you know, half a dozen megatrends that I've identified that are very, very predictable. And it's not rocket science. It's just a ton of reading, ton of research. And, uh, you know, and I've got a pretty good track record doing it. I've been doing it for 20 years, um, you know, and, it, and but there's other people doing it too, you know. Uh, there's There's a lot of people out there that consume this information and, and successfully synthesize it. Well, okay. So you mentioned they can't refi. So we're, we're going to get into the mega trends because, uh, but we're, I'm going to hold off on that for a minute. You mentioned um, that properties or operators aren't going to be able to refi and that their, their maturities are coming up. Can, can you explain what the maturity means that that's the loan coming due and then why can't they refinance? Okay. So, there was a syndicator bubble. There's thousands of syndicators went to, you know, some kind of a conference or a webinar on why stick in your old job, go raise money from investors and go buy apartment complexes. Well, these little guys went and bought deals and they paid too much for them. They outbid everybody else in deals that should never have been done. In order to do it, they're getting 80% LTV loans. And you guys know what that is, right? That means that means, you know, $10 million apartment complex, you'll borrow $8 million on it and put in two. Um, and they bought, they borrowed. And the only guys that do that are the bridge lenders. Okay. And the bridge lenders are the private lenders that have these floating rates. They do not allow fixed rates. And they don't do long-term locks. They typically would do a three-year lock, a rate lock, and then, then, it, then it goes up. Well, so let's say you're paying 3% interest. Well, all of a sudden... These things are cash flowing just fine, right? You're, 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 you collect your rents, you pay your debt, great. But what about when that 80% loan, it's a big loan, when it doubles its interest rate? All of a sudden, there's not enough cash flow to pay the interest, okay? That's the problem. And banks wanted what's called a debt service coverage ratio, meaning they want to see the cash flows from the property about 120% of the payment, the debt payment on the property, right? That's typically their bottom line and it varies, but that's rough number. Well, all of a sudden when the interest rates go up, their debt service coverage ratio is below one, which means they can't even afford to pay the debt. Well, now they're going to refinance and the guys say, no, I'm not going to refinance. I, I, you can't afford to pay me. Why am I do that? Or the property values has dropped. So you've got an 80% loan on this thing. Now the property values have dropped a little bit. They've dropped about 20% is what most people are, are saying. Well, well, now you've got 100% LTV. You follow me? So yeah. You've got 100% L LTV and you can't pay your debt. Who is who in their right mind is going to refinance you? No one is. And so this stuff is all going to be retraded. And, you know, it looks like about a about trillion dollars worth of, of maturities are coming in the next five years, according to TREP. So it's it's a big number. And it's just one of those things. You just don't want to be... You want to wait, right? It's too early right now to be buying. You want to wait a couple of years from now when, you know, 
multifamily is a dirty word. Everybody's lost money. If you tell people you're a multifamily investor, you got to put a paper bag over your head. You know, that's the time <laughs> when you want to be buying multifamily. You follow me? And it's just yeah. too early, but, but there's, there's going to be some pain. And it's just a, a perfect example of a great market multifamily. Yes. People need a place to live. It's a great thing. It's just not the right timing. And it's all very predictable, Jim. Aspen Funds has been a consistent supporter of left field investors. You may have seen Bob Frazier on an LFI webinar or at our October meetup in the left field speaking on investable megatrends for the next decade. Whether you're an accredited investor interested in mortgage note funds with a 10-year track record or other macro-driven alternative investments such as industrial, oil and gas, multifamily or retail, the Aspen Funds team is keeping track of the economic trends and co-invests on every deal right alongside you. Meanwhile, you get to do what you love and make every moment count. Download their free economic report today at aspenfunds.us slash LFI. One of our trusted partners, Ashcroft Capital, is currently accepting accredited investors into their Ashcroft Value Add Fund 2. Why should you invest in multifamily now? Let's talk about the elephant in the room. There's turmoil around the world, and we are in a very high inflationary environment. Naturally, that's a lot to digest, and it's on a lot of people's minds as to what this means for multifamily, or how to interpret this kind of data and reasons to consider when deciding to invest. Ashcroft Capital has compiled a white paper of five reasons to consider investing in multifamily in 2022. To read it and to learn more about investing in multifamily real estate with Ashcroft's AVAF2, visit ashcroftcapital.com slash invest in 2022. That's ashcroftcapital.com slash invest in 2022. So these deals, then, when they can't be refied, then you're, they're just going to have to sell the property or give it back to the bank, right? And and just so we're all clear, the capital stack, the debt comes first. So if you're an LP and they have to sell a deal just to pay the debt and there's nothing left over, you get nothing, right? You're not getting you get your wipe. capital back. You get a hundred percent wipe, and and that's not that's not even the worst deals I've seen. I actually saw deals in Dallas where they're buying in at a two point eight percent cap rate. That means Without debt, it was yielding 2.8% yield. Insanely low. And right. they bought an eight, they put an 80% debt on it, and then they got 10% private equity on top of it. So their 90% lever, that's the only way they could convince their investors is going to be a return, right? There's going to be no return. I mean, the, even the private equity guys are probably going to get wiped in these deals. And here, here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing about this whole thing. And this is what my experience in the public markets. I mean, this is this is the way it works. So this whole thing is is gonna is, is coming tumbling down. But here's the issue: we've got let's say we have eight percent inflation. I know it's dropped a little bit lower than that now. We have eight percent inflation for ten years. Do you know what that does to rents over a ten year period? It doubles the rents, which means it's going to double the NOI net operating income, which is how properties are valued, which means it's going to double the value of the property. So while this, it is the best time in the earth to be a real estate investor right now, you just have to weather the debt storm. And all these guys that they paid up for their deal, they did bad deals that shouldn't have been done and they're going to get creamed. And the truth is there's going to be a lot of money made. In, in real estate because it's the ultimate inflation edge. And according to my views, um, and I've been saying this for several years, inflation is here to stay. It's not, we're not going back to 2% inflation. 
not anytime soon. Um, I think we're going to see elevated inflation. I don't think we're going to see hyperinflation. I don't think we're going to see 8% inflation. I think we're going to see 4 to 6% inflation sustained for the next few years. And there's a few reasons for that. But, um, you know, that's going to continue to drive growth, rent growth like crazy. So you want to play the long-term game, you know. And, and the most important thing, and I, was, and I, was, I said this at your conference too, I, I said, most important thing is look at the debt stack. You must yeah. understand the debt structures and you must understand the debt. You know, um, we're just, we're seeing, we're seeing so many blowouts and so many deals that should not be done. Every, every deal Aspen does, we have a plan B, a plan B that we don't write about. We don't publish. It's a plan B. It's a, it's a worst case plan. Let's say if everything goes haywire, we, we can flip the plan from a five-year business plan to a 10 or a 15-year business plan and, and hold on to the property no matter what and make our investors money. Because if we can hold it for 10 or 15 years, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's going to be a win, right? A big win. We just got to weather it. So we, we're building – we have a, that in every single deal we do because, hey, I've lost everything twice. It's not going to happen again. And I've right. lost investors' money before. And and it, I, it's something I never, ever, ever will do again. I mean, it's uh, everything I do, I want to make absolutely bulletproof. And that's, you know, we got a, we got some gray hair at Aspen. And we got <laughs> we got some young bucks too, which I love, you know, young and optimistic yeah. and fiery and lots of vinegar. And we got we got some some people have been through it as well. And we're not interested in playing playing the risky game. You know, you, you, yeah. the truth is you can make great money without playing a lot, without playing a lot of risk. There's the, you know, in fact, one of the things we're looking at right, right now, one of the mega trends is we're seeing an invert, you've heard an inverted yield curve. Right yeah. now there's an inverted risk curve. It's actually less, you know, risk around the risk curve. You know, it's core, core plus value add, deep value add development, you know, as higher risk, higher returns. Right now, development deals are far less risky than value add deals, far less, and far higher returns. So, you know, it's things like that we look at, that we look at those kind of things and realize, hey, this is an opportunity um, to- uh, well, so, why, is, uh, why is development uh, lower risk? Uh, because the cost, so I can go buy a value add, you know, a, a, you know, we just, you know, you could go buy, there's some for sale now in Northwest Arkansas, an area we love, the Walmart kind of area, for $195,000 a unit, we can build for 130. Which which would you rather have? Brand new unit at 130 or an old unit at 195? Yeah. I mean, equivalent. That, where's the risk? The risk would be paying 195, right? So that's, that's there's a it's, same thing with industrial. You can't buy industrial right now, but you can build it and you can build it cheap. You know, we're, we're building an industrial, uh, we're all in around uh, $65 a square foot for large, large footprint industrial. It's worth, if it's leased, it's worth 125. It's a double and it's a nine month build. Um, where's the risk in that? Well, the risk is we don't rent it, which is not very risky when the vacancy rate for class A is zero, <laughs> you know, so right. class A industrial. So, you know, I'm happy to take that risk. Yeah, we'll, we build this incredible, incredible, you know, industrial warehouse in the middle of the industrial space in the mis in the middle of the Midwest with a lot of, uh, you know, and no one wants to rent it. Yeah, right. You know, I'll I'll take that risk all day long. And again, even there, we we we, we built an 18 month runway 
that if we have trouble running, it's no big deal, right? We're going to just continue to run it out. And we got debt that totally, that's long-term debt at a good fixed rate. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the way to do it. Um, so, I want to go back real quick. I, I we're going to get to the uh, the the mega trends because that's super interesting. But you you mentioned you know how vertical integration at the very beginning you were talking about vertical integration and how that kind of forces people to maybe do deals that they wouldn't otherwise do. So when you are because you're not a you're not an operator right you're you're raising capital for other operators. So is that one of the the things that you analyze when you're when you're vetting a sponsor is is how are, are they vertically integrated and if they are is that is that a, a a ding on their operations in your mind? No, it's not a ding at all because if I'm choosing to work with them on a deal, then I, I know that you know I just don't want to be them, but I'm happy to partner with them. You know. I'll work on this deal, but hey, the deal five years from now when it's all upside down, I just don't want to be them and have a payroll of 300 people, construction workers that I can't afford to pay anymore, right? So I'll, right. I don't know, I'm super happy to partner with them. And we actually are operators. We do, we operate our, we operate our note funds, 100%. We don't oh, partner, right. we don't partner out with that. We also do all of our develop, we do our development deals in-house because we have a lot of deep, we have a deep bench on the development side as well. So, um, yeah. So, so, we, so you're, we you're kind of hybrid. We're hybrid. Yes. Yeah. Where we have a deep bench and we're comfortable doing a deal ourselves, we, we'll do it. And if, if we're, if we're not, we, we bring our, just our professional expertise, our, our underwriting, you know, we have bank underwriting, bank quality underwriting, very, very good underwriting. And everybody says they have underwriting, but no one underwrites like a bank underwrites. And that's the way we underwrite. Yeah. Um, and, and really professional operations, and those kind of things that we we bring to bear. So a lot of times we we actually we actually take you know some operators with a little less experience, but we we professionalize them where we come in with where we let them do what they're good at, which is maybe construction and development or something, and and we come in with everything else where we're doing asset management, you know the property, you know we finding the property management, doing the business plan. So so in that case, are we an operator or not? Well, we are, we are, but. Right. We we split it out. Uh, we split out the functions. So so it, it's kind of a sliding scale, to be honest, Jim. So yeah, a, a lot of deals we're very much running the deal um, and controlling the deal, even though someone else may be doing the construction or they have originated the project or something like that. But we're 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 in the driver's seat. Okay. And so sticking with kind of vetting sponsors or operators, right? That's like one of the biggest things that an LP has to do. So how does an LP then analyze you as an operator or a sponsor, um, either on a deal that you're raising capital for and and it's going to be someone else running it? and or a deal where you actually are the operator? Because as you are, you're hybrid, right? So it's a little bit different analysis than a normal one. So how does an LP dig in and and get to know Aspen? Yeah, well, we do do very in-depth webinars for every deal we do. And we're we're very much, hey, we're just good old Midwesterners like you, right? We're not complicated people. We've got no snake oil we're trying to sell. And... um, we're, we, as I say, we play our cards face up. We we really don't ha- have any secrets. We disclose everything, including the deal, including the risks of the deal, what we love about the deal, what, you know, uh, those kind of things. And so get on the, do the webinar, 
look at our debt stack, which we pay a lot of attention to, um, look at our operation history, look at our track record. And track record is really important, right? Um, there's a lot of people say they, you know, I'm going to do this, but can't do they, can they really pull it off? Um, look at the experience of the, of the operators, the people involved, um, and, and look at the deal, look at the deal, you know, um, make, make sure you like it and ask a lot of questions. You know, I don't mind. We don't, we do not mind people asking questions. It's your money. You know, yeah. we are fiduciaries. We're, we're taking care of your money and, you know, investors first hundred percent for us. Yeah, I think that's critical to feel comfortable asking questions and knowing that, you know, you're going to be taken seriously and getting getting an, uh, a quality answer. Uh, that, that's, that's, we love that. Yeah. We actually, I just want to say, you know, you want to ask questions. Please don't be embarrassed. Ask questions. I have an IR team that loves to a- answer those. And if they can't get you the answer, they'll go to our chief investment officer and get it from him. If he can't get it, they'll come to me and we'll get we'll get the answer. And we we do not mind and we we have plenty of time for that. We're never in yeah. a hurry. We're never, we never are, you know, look down anyone asking a question. And that's good. I mean, it's a huge red flag for me when I ask a question and, and you get any pushback other than, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll answer it, right? You, you run. You, you, you run. I mean, there was just a deal in the news. I don't know if you saw, there was a carbon capture deal, a $250 million Ponzi scheme. SEC just busted them. A lot of people in, in our world that I yes. knew were raising for that deal. And, um, you know, and it's just sad and, you know, gosh, pay yeah, that one, that one's to, a tough one. Yeah. Pay attention to who your operators are. You yeah. Know? And I, and I wonder, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out because like you, there's a lot of people that I think are smart, capable people that were, you know, raising capital for that and went to visit and did all of the due diligence that, you know, you should be doing, or at least most of the due diligence, they must've missed something. They, no, um, they did yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. it wasn't done. You know, did they look at bank accounts? Did they look at, it just wasn't right. done. What I mean is that the standard due diligence, you know, go to the site and things that like an LP would do, it seems they have, they have done, but you got you to dig deeper. There's another deal um, that I heard about that, that, went, that went bad that might have had an attorney who um, was disbarred that was involved in the deal, but he was like two layers in. So it's hard. You have to dig until you get to that last layer, right? You can't just go, um, capital raiser operator, there might be, you might have to d- check the property manager or, you know, you have to go all the way in, right. When you're evaluating a sponsor. Yeah. So working with people that trust yeah. and know something. And, and, and we do that as when we partner with somebody, we, we run background checks on absolutely every key employee. We go look at their financials. We push on everything. We look at their track record in detail and we're still in the driver's seat, by the way, even when we do all that. So right. it's, it is a lot of work. It is a lot of work to do due diligence, right? It just is. But it's something you just have to do. And, uh, you know, we, we like to do that one time with an operator and then we'll do, we'll do a few deals with them. We do operator due diligence separate from a deal due diligence. Right. And, and how does an LP, I, I don't think they can replicate that, uh, you know, because you're invested when you're doing a deal you have a lot more capital that you're putting into the deal and so you have a lot more resources as well so how does an lp kind of navigate that difficult thing where you know i i as an lp i might only be able to go one or two layers deep i i'm not going to look at the financials so how do we get comfortable with an lp or with a with a gp or an operator in that in that sense you know you know um 
you you know, first you want to look. I mean, Ponzi schemes are fairly easy to spot. I think, right? It's just are they have are they paying cash out? If they're paying cash out and cash in at the same time, you got to take a look at it. And if they're being if they're being cagey at all or dodging, and you don't want to show you. I mean, ask for their financial statements. Ask ask for you know ask for their deposits report. Um, you know, ask for their, their, uh, the, uh, the invoices for the last month. And if they're cagey about it, don't do it. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. so there's a few things to ask. You can ask for things you don't even know how to read, but just ask for them. You know? <laughs> yeah. And part of it, right. Is to see if they give it to you or not. Yeah. But most deals, people are terrified of Ponzi schemes, but they're really rare. I mean, I don't think most investors should be super con- concerned about that unless you're going to price an amount of your net worth there um and those just do it with reputable people for gosh sakes yeah um and uh, yeah it's you know trust is everything in this business right and um and so you you want to go with people that really care about their name and their good name and their reputation yeah no that, that that's for sure at BAM Capital, we democratize institutional grade multifamily assets for the individual investor. Since inception, we've averaged over a 31% annualized return net to our investors. My name is Ivan Barrett. I'm the founder and CEO of BAM Capital. I sincerely hope you go to the website capital.thebamcompanies.com and check out BAM Capital. I always enjoy talking to Bob. He's just got so much information and, and is so willing to share it. it it's really nice. You know, um, this podcast will be split into two because we did talk for longer than we should have, but it was just so interesting and so much to talk about that uh, that we just kept on going. But I do want to mention a couple of things um, from my notes here. You know, Bob talked about the public markets and how unpredictable they are, and that's why he's not into them anymore. And also he you know, lost money twice uh, in the public markets, but that really cemented something for me because that's where it's more speculation. It just is. If you're raising money for a you know, stock market deal or something like that, or a hedge fund, you're you're really just hoping to sell to somebody else at a later time and and make money on that with with nothing in between, right? And so real estate, you have cash flow and you have an asset, and it's just it's just more real. So I, I liked how he said that, and he also admitted, you know, they are generalists, which means they are able to go and work with other operators. And you, you heard him talk about how he helps them and kind of guides them, but they're generalists, which means that they, they're they not digging deep into any one thing necessarily, although with their, their fund, their um, debt fund they are. With most things, they're just generalists and working with partners who have the, the, the knowledge. And, and I like that, that approach. And then um, he talked about the DSCR. Um, and I thought that he really explained that well. So I'm gonna go back and listen to that again because it was just was explained in a way that was really made sense to me. And, and so I always like that. And the last thing for the first half, at least, he was talking about make sure you ask the question. And if an operator is not answering or is cagey about it or anything like that, just move on. There are plenty of fish in the sea, as they say. There's thousands of syndicators. So if someone isn't giving you the financials or giving you the information you want, say goodbye, move on. So that's it for this one. Next week, we'll uh, put out 
the second half where we talk about the mega trends and it gets really interesting when we're talking about economics and all that stuff because that's really where where bob shines so please tune in next week but for now we'll see you next time in the left field Thanks for hanging out in the left field with us today. If you are interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestor.com and click the subscribe button to join our community. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to the show on your podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you really enjoyed the show, a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts would be appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.